This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and, if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, let's start with a few updates. Back in the summer, I spoke to the lovely Danny Jefferson of Jefferson Crafts, and you might recall that she was awarded Young Market Trade of the Year for the South East region for her fantastic stall selling all homemade products to help us be a little bit more sustainable. Well, Jefferson Crafts now has a fantastic new website where you can see and order some really practical, useful and beautifully made items that would make very special gifts, and they're well-priced and quickly delivered. Too. So do take a look at the new Jefferson Crafts website. And a couple of weeks ago on the show, I spoke to Colin Hodges of Twenties Plenty for Hertfordshire. Um, and he spoke about their petition to um, Hertfordshire County Council's Highways and Environment Committee, asking for it to be easier to have village and town-wide 20 mile an hour limits in Hertfordshire. Well, the meeting at which the petition was presented was last Thursday, and the group were disappointed to have their request in their petition turned down in spite of support from all the Lib Dem and Labour councillors on the committee. And interestingly, Buntingford Town Council will this Thursday be discussing a motion to inform Hearts County Council that they are in favour of a maximum 20 mile an hour limit throughout their town. Be interesting to see how that goes. Another update, Sasha Bedford, who cares for hedgehogs at Hattie's Hedgehogs, who I spoke to a few weeks ago, that's over in Hatfield, was delighted that a lovely anonymous donor bought Hattie's a big shelf unit that was on their Amazon wish list. So if you are buying Christmas gifts on Amazon, then do take a look at the wish list that many local charities have, including Hattie's and the London Colney Hedgehog Rescue, and do pop something in the basket for them if you can. Some of the items they need are really very modest but much needed nevertheless and you can find me talking to Sasha Colin and Danny and many other wonderful people in the podcast that you'll find on the podcast page of radioverulam.com Now, Rothamsted Research, which is based on the edge of Harpenden, is a world-leading non-profit research centre that focuses on strategic agricultural science to the benefit of farmers and society worldwide. And whilst the human world is reeling under the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic, Rothamsted scientists are helping farmers tackle plant pandemics all over the world. And they're working to have plant pathogens travel might even help us understand better the spread of human pathogens like COVID. Dr John West is a senior research scientist at Rothamsted Research, leading a team working on applied multidisciplinary crop protection projects, particularly in plant pathology and aerobiology. I spoke to Dr West. John, thank you very much indeed for joining me. So I suppose for most of us here in the UK, at least, we kind of aren't really used to pandemics. Can the same be said for UK plants? Yes, Amanda, that's a really important point. We 
have worked for years on plant diseases at Rothamsted Research. And the key thing is there can be fungal diseases, bacteria and viruses that impact on how plants grow. So it's okay. big business for farmers who have their yield reduced and it can actually impact on the health of people because some diseases of plants can cause toxins that carry through in the seeds that we might be eating. So yeah, it's big business. Okay, so th- so these di- these um, plant diseases are something that are sort of spreading throughout the world, and as you say, are, are very important to as well. So here in our COVID nineteen pandemic, we've been told that water droplets are crucial to the spread of the COVID virus. Why are Rothamsted scientists like you studying the dispersal of water droplets of, of different sizes? And what kind of plant diseases are spread by water droplets, and what kind of damage can they do to plants? There's a lot of plant diseases that are dispersed in the air and can spread very long distances that way. Some actually are airborne, but because the spores might be sensitive to light, they might not actually live very long. And there's an important group of plant pathogens that are also dispersed by rain splash. And so this is where drops of rain fall onto an infected leaf or fruit or debris on the ground. You get this splash of drops. Some of them are quite big drops that go in a kind of arc and they might go a fairly short distance, like less than a metre. But you also get a very fine spray generated when there's heavy rain. And some of this spray can blow tens of metres and sometimes further. So scientists at Rothamsted have studied this over the years for different diseases, not only some important diseases of cereals and, and arable crops that we grow in this country, but a study I was involved in a few years ago was actually on a disease of oranges. We studied it actually because it was important to do the work in the UK where we don't grow oranges commercially and so there was no risk that we'd actually spread the disease to nearby crops. But we could study this in a a wind tunnel and in very safe lab conditions and study how far these droplets can blow if you combine a combination of wind with the drops being created by the rain splashes. What we found was that in very windy conditions, these fine drops can actually blow tens of metres. So uh, there's a real potential for them to spread the disease around the plantation canopy or a field. And then what the COVID-19 pandemic made me aware of was that actually water droplets created in a completely different way by people speaking or coughing or sneezing could also spread that particular disease in, in a similar way. So actually the work that you've been doing, the way in which um uh, as you say, rain droplets can spread pathogens in plants is is very relevant to the spread of COVID. And you actually, you've looked at not just the um, water droplets and the aerosol particles that we've uh, talked about in the context of COVID, but the, there's a sort of an in-between size, which you think is quite important as well. Is that right? Correct. When it comes to people speaking or coughing, there's a whole range of different droplet sizes produced. Most of them are very, very small, less than 2.5 microns in diameter. But there are occasionally a few that are much bigger than that. And the same happens with the rain splash droplets that carry the disease spores from plant surfaces. 
So we've studied these and what we realised was that a lot of the literature that the medical community were consulting and, and looking at when, when it came to COVID-19 didn't consider droplets over, say, 5 or 10 microns in diameter to be a potential problem because they assumed that those were already large enough to fall very rapidly to the floor and therefore not be a risk to people. Yet the plant disease work showed that some of these intermediate sized droplets between 10 and 1000 microns can still blow very long distances. So that sounds to be really quite useful in our understanding of how COVID might spread. So how do you think that your research might affect our thinking about the prevention of COVID-19? Do you think that there's additional precautions we could be taking? Well, I think we have already come a long way, thanks to work from a a range of scientists in the medical and human health profession. They've done some excellent work, so I'm certainly not knocking that at all. So I think our work, like all, all science, it's just a piece to the jigsaw of the overall knowledge that we have. And hopefully it will help that this intermediate size droplet might be also considered as a safety factor for other things like diseases of humans as well. Okay, indeed. How does your research help farmers prevent plant diseases? What can they do, given that, you know, rain falls all the time, doesn't it? Is there any way in which they can use your research to help um, prevent diseases? Yes. So our research on plant diseases, particularly those you you asked about that are, are rain splash dispersed, we can get an idea on how far those droplets are likely to spread and also an understanding of what time of the year the disease occurs. Then coinciding with rain events allows us to forecast to farmers that there's a chance of imminent disease occurring and that means they might be spraying a fungicide only when it's absolutely needed rather than going out there and spraying unnecessarily. So we have tried as much as possible to do disease forecasting in order to to help guide farmers when best to apply crop protection products. And that also extends to the dry air dispersed spores that are also very common for, for other diseases. We use all sorts of air sampling techniques and that can allow us either to work out the seasonality of a, a particular disease and there are other more sporadic diseases that we do continue to monitor the air for and we can use very rapid diagnostic techniques uh, either in the lab and increasingly automatically done in a field located device that can text the growers that a certain spore has arrived and therefore there's a risk of the disease kicking off and now would be the best time for them to apply a crop protection product. And it's really important as part of integrated pest management to create ways for farmers to only spray when it's absolutely needed, which maximises the impact of their sprays and gives us the good, reliable, secure crop yields that we need to feed the world, but also avoids unnecessary sprays, which we want to avoid in order to prevent any any damage to the environment. Would things like potato blight, um, is that one of the diseases that might fall into this category where conditions get to a certain certain level and then you're able to put out a warning that it is likely to be a problem? Correct. Yes, potato blight is 
a particularly good example, actually. We do have some research projects going at the moment to help advise farmers when we detect the presence of the fungus that causes this disease in the air. And it's something that has to be done very, very swiftly because it's a pathogen that's particularly fast at wiping out uh, an entire field of production. So farmers prefer to take absolutely no risks at all when it comes to potato blight. And they normally do spray, but our advice helps them to know when there's a really particularly high risk period and then they might intensify the sprays that they put on. I just wondered whether in the light of the, you know, our horror and the economic loss that this human pandemic, um, COVID-19, has caused, I just wondered whether you thought that perhaps it would be good if people were a little more alert to the diseases of the plant world and the potential that they have to wreak havoc in a similar way. Would, would you welcome that kind of increased awareness? Yes, and uh, actually this year is the International Year of Plant Health, believe it or not, but it's been completely overshadowed by the COVID crisis. And I think it is important to make people more aware of the the risk to our food supply of pests and diseases. We get our food from quite a lot of different geographies, not only the UK, and there can be all sorts of diseases affecting them. So, for example, at the moment, there's a disease called Fusarium that is affecting bananas, and that is particularly aggressive on the main variety of banana, Cavendish, which is grown in a wide range of countries. And so it takes time for farmers to adapt and select a new variety that's resistant to the disease and also to develop maybe strategies of using chemicals or biological control agents in a way to reduce the disease as well. So in order to give us more time to control pests and diseases, it's important to have research going on to have the expertise and the background knowledge to allow us to react as fast as possible when there is a new outbreak or a new disease occurring. Dr John West, thank you very much indeed for explaining that to us. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Amanda. Do take a look at the news page of the Rothamsted Research website for more stories about the work that Rothamsted scientists are doing, including how sustainable fish farming might depend on innovative land crops and what Rothamsted Research is doing to advance postdoctoral science in Africa. Now, just a reminder that on the 25th of November at 7.30pm, Sustainable St. Albans will be hosting a panel discussion over Zoom about the District Council's sustainability and climate crisis strategy with Chris White, the council leader. Uh, There'll be a panel of people who've been involved in drafting the strategy following the District Council's declaration of a climate emergency back in 2019. And the discussion will centre on how we as a community can get involved to make the strategy work and create a more sustainable district. Now, there's going to be lots of time for taking questions. Head to the Sustainable St Albans um, website for more information. And I'm delighted to say that I will be one of the panellists, so I do hope to see you there. 
Now, on Monday evening, Tara of Tara's Vegan Treats here in St. Albans will be featuring in an event run by the group Women Allowed. That's allowed as in you can hear them rather than allowed as in permitted. Anyway, Tara will be talking about vegan cooking essentials, ingredient swaps and how to introduce more vegan food into your life. She will be sharing ideas for meals, sweet treats and snacks, as well as demonstrating how to make cheesy pesto puffs and a vegan Snickers cheesecake. There's going to be opportunities throughout to ask Tara any questions you have about vegan cooking or vegan living in general. My goodness, that does sound tasty, doesn't it? Tickets are limited, so book yours as soon as you can do. Um, You'll find the tickets on uh, Ticket Taylor. They're £10.00. and uh, non-members of the group are very much welcome as well. So it sounds like a fun evening. But if you can't go, or if you're listening to the Wednesday show, then do look for some inspiration on Tara's Vegan Treats YouTube channel instead. Now, another reminder about the Festive Streets project. You remember that the idea is that neighbours get together um, to uh, celebrate as a community in a contact-free way and bring a bit of cheer into your neighbourhood, um, for, for instance, by decorating your street-facing windows. And you'll find, if you look on the Playing Out St Albans webpage, that they've got lots of information there about how you can do this lovely idea in your street. It's always good to hear from you. Get in touch via Twitter at RV underscore environment. Go to the Environment Matters Facebook page or you can drop me a line on amanda at radioverilum.com. If you've got any comments about what I've talked about today or indeed ideas that you would like me to cover in the future. I'm going to be back at the same time next week. But until then, thanks for listening.